Um, I just want to start by saying welcome again to Finding Life Church. It is awesome to have you guys here. Um, it is a, it, it, I can't see you, but I'm just assuming you're here. It's awesome that you're here. Um, I didn't hear that. Um, it is a pleasure for me to uh, be talking to you today. It's a privilege really to be a part of the teaching team and to get a chance to do this every once in a while. Um, so thank you for the, for the honor uh, that it is to be up here. Um, it's week two of our new series called DNA, and we're jumping into that this morning. Um, Jake introed it last week, but I also wanted to give us a bit of a refresher um, on why we're doing this. What, what is this whole series called DNA, and why are we doing it? This is really about rediscovering, clarifying, and uniting around the foundational principles of Finding Life Church. You might ask, why are we spending time on this again? It feels like we do this a lot, and we do. There's no question about it. Well, the answer is simple. We are finite, broken, limited, self-centered human beings, and we naturally seek comfort. And so it's inevitable that we're going to get off course. And so we've got to constantly do everything that we can to self-correct and to remain aligned with God's heart for his church. Jake even got a little scientific last week, which was a bit of a shock to me. He said that was his favorite subject. I wouldn't have known that. But he defined DNA. He's, and I thought the best part of what he said was this. DNA is a molecule that carries the genetic instructions used in the growth, development, functioning, and reproduction of all known living organisms. DNA is not, a set, is not set in the cell of an organism by the organism, but by the creator of that organism. That's the part I like the best. As the church, we don't get to decide what our DNA is. Our DNA is set by the creator of the universe. The trouble is, most, church, most churches are not super intentional about choosing what their DNA is. A lot of times, it gets set by accident, and their people have no idea what it is. So in this series, we're focusing on three things. One, aligning our DNA with the heart of God. Number two, getting clear on why we exist. And number three, unifying around what we will do as a result. This morning is all about getting clear on why we exist. It's about our vision. It's all about vision. And if you've spent any time in any organization, whether it be the business world, just any organization, you know that organizations have two things. They have a vision statement and they have a mission statement. I worked in the business world for a long time and I couldn't tell you what the difference was between a vision and a mission statement. Um, they're all, they've always been kind of murky to me. And as an employee of, of businesses, I never knew what they really were. Um, well, lucky for me, I got to teach today, so now I get to learn what these two things are and what the difference is between them. So here's the difference. The vision of an organization involves imagining a desired future state. It focuses on results. It focuses on outcomes long into the future. Vision, vision answers the question, why are we here? And what does God want to use us to accomplish? The mission statement is a little bit more here and now. It's what are we going to do? What's our job? It is what are we going to do to accomplish that vision? Now, as the church, one of the things we're definitely guilty of is skipping over this whole vision thing altogether or not really focusing on it at all. We'd much rather focus on what we do. We do worship services. We do Bible studies. We do prayer meetings. We do Sunday school. We do service projects. We do mission trips. Starting with what we do and focusing on that is, is, is a dangerous approach because it really leaves all the results and all the outcomes to chance. We're not aiming at anything. We're just kind of focusing on religious activities. And, and if we're not careful, we end up in a place we didn't mean to be. We don't understand how we got there. In some ways, it's easy to understand why we do this. It's definitely a culture thing. We grow up in this world, in this culture, and, and really the culture t teaches us to focus on what we do. What do you want to do when you grow up? 
Doesn't take long for us to hear that when we're in school, right? My kids talk about it all the time. What sports do you play? What do you study? What do you do for a living? That's a lot of times the first question that we get asked in social situations is, what do you do for a living? We get so focused on what we do, it's no wonder why so many people have a, a midlife crisis, why they get to the middle of their lives and they look around and they're like, wow, what happened to my life? This is not what I expected it to be. Because we focus on what we do. We focus on doing rather than focusing on a vision of what we want our lives to become. We're not aiming at anything in particular. We focus on what we do because it's comfortable for us. It's instantly gratifying, right? We like to check things off the list. Guilty as charged. And we don't like to wait. Also guilty as charged. I'm not the most patient person in the world. Vision forces us to wait. What we do, focusing on what we do, is, is a very tangible thing. And we like tangible because we like to control things. And it makes us feel like we're in control. Vision forces us to surrender control. Now, there are some things in life that I think we actually do operate with a bit of vision. One is probably something a lot of you have been thinking about lately, which is New Year's resolutions, right? We have a vision of, of something that we want to be or change, right? We, we get a vision of we want to be skinny, and we, we see a model in a magazine or whatever, we're like, oh, yeah, I want to get that body. It's all over. You, you stand in the checkout line at, at the grocery store, and that's all you see on the magazines. We get this vision in our head. That's who we want to be. So that is the vision we have. And so everything that we do filters through that vision. Everything that we eat, everything that we uh, do to exercise filters through that vision. Sometimes we have an unrealistic vision, though. <laughs> Same with our finances. If there's no vision, we just end up spending money willy-nilly. We get to the end of the month, and we're like, what happened to all of our money? Maybe instead you have a vision. You want to be debt-free in a certain number of years. Maybe it's five, ten years. And so every financial decision you make filters through that vision. What car are we going to buy? Are we going to buy a car? Are we going to buy a house? What kind of house are we going to buy? Everything gets filters through that. Vision is what sets the course. It gives us a direction, and it's the filter through which we make decisions. And at Finding Life Church, we have always been, and we will always be, a vision-driven church. We will never be a church that's defined by what we do, that focuses only on what we do. We will always start with, what, with why we exist, and we will let that dictate what we do and who we are. Everything starts with vision. Everything starts with vision. The one thing I did forget to mention is you have an outline. You have a, a worship flyer. Hopefully you got it. I have an outline on there. I'm kind of going to stick to it kind of roughly. So um, the next part I'm going to get to right now is, is number two on your outline, which is the next question we have to ask. After we understand and we're clear that we have to start with vision, the next question we ask is, what makes a good vision? A good vision has two things. The first is, it's impossible for us to accomplish on our own. When your vision is to be debt-free in five or ten years, you don't set that as the vision unless you can accomplish it on your own. Sure, you might have to sacrifice, you might have to change some things, but ultimately you don't set that unless you know you can hit it. Well, when we're talking about the church, it's absolutely a requirement that our vision be something that we can't accomplish. Let's remember, we're not doing this thing on our own. We're really not even 50-50 partners in this thing called the church. Let's remember who we are and who God is. I want to, to, to remind us who we are, I want to read Isaiah 64.6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Even what we think are good deeds are filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. 
I read something once that said even our kindest acts are, are laced with some kind of selfishness, which is true. Because even the good things we do, we do because we like to feel good about doing good things. And I'm not saying that to make us feel bad or to say we shouldn't do good things. But just to, to make the point and to help us understand and get focused on the fact that we are limited. We all fall short of the glory of God. We don't have what it takes to accomplish his vision in the world with his church. Thankfully, our God has no limitations. Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He can accomplish not just more than we can imagine. We've got, like God's gifted us with some amazing imaginations. But this is saying infinitely more than we can imagine. He can accomplish infinitely more. We absolutely have no grid for what God can do. He is limitless, and his capabilities are impossible for us to measure or quantify. Here's an example from Isaiah 54 of God trying to get us to understand what he's capable of. This is Isaiah 54, 1 through 3. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. I love these verses, but man, when I first read them, it was hard for me to get my, my mind wrapped around them. This is God using a metaphor to try to get us to understand what he can do. The human mind, which is limited, he says, imagine you're a childless woman. Imagine there is nothing about your life that says you can or ever will have children. Well, guess what? You're going to have so many descendants that you're not only going to fill up your house, you're going to occupy nations with no evidence. You have no evidence of this. And I, you have to be so confident that I'm going to do this that I want you to go ahead and build an addition on your house to spend all your money. In essence, God is saying, forget any parameters, forget any guidelines that you have for what I'm capable of. I can do anything. I can do more than your small little mind can even imagine I can do. My vision for the world is more than you can comprehend. Having a vision that we cannot accomplish on our own keeps us where we need to be, surrendered and dependent. It helps us know our role. It puts us in position where we get to be a part of what God's doing. We get to see and experience things that we would not get to see and experience. Miracles all the time. Now, the other thing that a good vision has to do is it has to align with the heart of God. It has to, to be what God wants, not what we want. So what does God want? 1 Timothy 2.4, who wants everyone, this is God it's talking about, God who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. God wants who? He wants everyone. He wants everyone to be saved and know the truth about him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So who does God love? God loves the world. That's just a fancy way of saying everyone. He loves all and he wants all people to come to him. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some might think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This, my friends, is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. He's not sitting up in heaven waiting for you to screw up so he can cast you aside. He's not. He's not keeping score of your wrongs. He is waiting patiently for you. 
He wants everyone to find Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to be transformed by his love and grace. And Jesus makes that really clear in Luke 15. This is the parable of the lost sheep we've heard a lot. We've read a lot if you've been around here for any period of time. Luke 15, 4 through 7. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that he has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What matters most is people finding Jesus. That's what that verse is saying. What matters most is people finding Jesus. That is what God wants. At Finding Life Church, we aren't asking God to get behind what we want to do. We are asking God what he wants to do and getting behind that. It's not about us, it's about him. That, however, still leaves the question, then why do we do this thing called church? Why are we doing this? Why are we here? Because I'll be honest, and most of you know this about me, I didn't grow up in the church. I spent the first 30 years of my life outside the church. And what I basically learned growing up as an outsider is if you wanted to go to heaven, if you went to church, you went to heaven and you were a good person. And if you didn't go to church, you weren't going to heaven and you were a bad person. That's what I learned. I didn't learn that from you guys, so don't worry. Uh, well, I came to Finding Life Church. I, I, I was changed by Jesus. I decided to give my life to him. I started reading the Bible. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, hang on a second. What happened here? Like, nowhere in this Bible do I read, go to church and you'll get eternal life. Doesn't say it. When did the church become a place that we went to rather than something that we were supposed to be? If you've been here for any period of time, you've heard about this a ton, Right? We're not a building. And if you were here this summer, you heard this a lot. We're not a trailer. We're not our pastor. And we're not our stuff. It might get a little old hearing this stuff, but we've got to hear it. We've got to say it over and over and over again. Because we need reminded. We do. Because we are so tempted, again, we're tangible people, to, to put our hope, to put our identity in stuff, in people. At the same time, I also think it's important, and I learned this from a friend of mine, that we not just talk about what we aren't, but what we actually are. Do we know what we are? Are we aiming at the right things? Are we aiming at what God wants us to aim at? And I think to have clarity on that, we have to go back to the beginning. Now, I can't see you, but I'm sure that some of your eyes rolled back in your head right now. I'm not going to start at the beginning of the Bible, okay? I might, but I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Okay, so here's the beginning. God creates people. People make a mess, right? They mess everything up. So God, in his mercy, sets forth a plan to fix the world, to fix what we broke. Here's what he says to this guy named Abraham that he chooses in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the first time that we hear the vision. We hear the vision, but we hear it over and over and over again because Abraham's kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, they keep forgetting over and over, not unlike us. Later on, Abraham's family becomes the nation of Israel, and God enters into a special relationship with them. They are to be set apart. They're supposed to be different, a kingdom of priests. 
God has them build a temple where he's going to dwell. And that became the center of everything. That's where they offered sacrifices. It's where they went for festivals. It's where they dedicated their children. It's, it's just, it's where everything happened and on and on. So this was the idea, right? At this time, this nation was to show the world who God was and what God cared about. The, the way that God was going to attract people, that he was going to save the world was by being stationary and attracting people to this nation, to this town, to this temple. Now, in order for God to be present in this temple, there's certain things that had to happen, right? Because a holy God can't be in the presence of unholy people. That was the point of the sacrifices. Now, this seems really weird to us, but this was normal for the people during this time. They sacrificed animals, they took the blood, they sprinkled it around the temple, and that cleansed the temple so that God could be there. Now, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It changed everything. Not only did it bring about the possibility of eternal life to those who believed in him, not only did it pay for the, pen the penalty for our sin and make us right with God, but the blood of Jesus also cleansed us so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in us, so that God could be inside of us, so that we could become many mobile temples. When the first believers received the Holy Spirit, when God began dwelling in them, this changed the game. God's no longer dwelling in a building. He's dwelling in people because there's a new vision. God has a new vision. God's vision is that these many temples would scatter throughout the world. And as they went, they would continuously be shaped and transformed by his spirit. And through that transformation, they would be filled with the love and grace of Jesus. So much so that it would spill out of them. They would have no choice but to have it spill out of their lives and into the lives of those around them. And as it spilled into those other people, they began giving their lives to Jesus and they were transformed by the Holy Spirit and the movement spread and spread and spread. This is exactly what happened in the beginning. The first believers were in Jerusalem. They're loving people, caring for people. They're sharing about Jesus. And then they start being persecuted, so they scatter. And they just didn't scatter and run and hide. They scattered and took with them the love and grace of Jesus that had filled them up. It went with them everywhere they went. God was inside of them, and he went with them everywhere that they went. They started just a little bit outside of Jerusalem, and then they went farther north and farther north and farther north until eventually Paul ends up in the city of Rome, which is the Roman Empire's the biggest empire during that time. Did the believers ever scatter, did they ever gather together? I talked about how they just moved and moved and moved. Did they ever gather together? Yes, they gathered together. It looked way different than the way we do it today. They probably didn't have, obviously, they didn't have the technology, um, but, but their, their gatherings looked way different than ours look today, just because of the culture. But at some point, we Christians decided to take a step back. We decided to go backwards. We decided to build buildings and tell people to come to us. We went back to this stationary temple model of the Old Testament, ignoring the fact that God had changed the game, that Jesus had changed everything. The temple isn't any longer a building. You are God's temple. I am God's temple. This is God's vision for his church. This is it right here. Scattered, mobile, many, although you're not all as many as me, many temples spreading the love and grace of Jesus through the world. Now, I've been describing a whole lot of things, but I haven't even read the vision statement of Finding Life Church yet. I did that on purpose. 
because I want you to see that I'm not going to read a vision statement and then go through and explain it to you. I'm, I'm going to show you God's vision that I read. And, and trust me, as I was preparing for this, I was like, whoa, I'm going to go up and I'm going to teach on God's vision for his church. Like, who am I to teach on God's vision for his church? But it's in there. It's in his word. I wanted to start there and then read our vision statement so that you can see whether or not it lines up. So let me read it. We're imagining more and more people immersed in their community as walking worshipers. People are coming alive in intimacy with Jesus as they learn to engage with him in the everyday moments of their lives. They're coming alive with a passion for his kingdom that unleashes them to be life givers in their natural sphere of influence. As a result, more and more people are coming to saving faith in Jesus and learning what it means to be his disciple, his follower. The result, God is multiplying everything, new and more relationships, life-giving faith, powerful community, and transformational churches for his glory. So here's the question. Did you hear it? Did it line up? And just in case you want to look at it a little bit closer, it is on your worship flyer. The first thing, the first sentence, the first thing that it says is more and more, more and more people. Does that line up with what God wants? Right, I read those three verses. What God wants, is he wants everyone, everyone to come to saving faith in him. What matters most is people finding Jesus. Then we get to this, these words, walking worshipers. You might wonder, what is a walking worshiper? That's just a fancy way of saying what I just said, a mini temple. Maybe I should talk to Jake and see if we can change it. Mini temple. That's what you are. That's what I am. And so what does God want from us walking worshipers? He wants us to live our lives connected to him, worshiping him, learning him, because he knows that in him is real life, the best life. So that's the first sentence, this first couple sentences. The next sentence says, they are coming alive with a passion for his kingdom that unleashes them to be life givers in their natural sphere of influence. Now that might seem like a lot. So what does that mean? If we are connected to Jesus as we live our lives, we're going to be filled with him. His love and grace. We will begin to love what he loves. We'll be lovers of people. And we will be people that freely give away the love and grace of Jesus in the places that we are with the people that we are with. Our friends, our neighbors, people we work with, people we do life with. That's what our natural sphere of influence is. That's all it is. It's people we already know that, that are already in our lives. And as a result of that, more and more people will come to saving faith in Jesus and learn what it means to be his disciple, his follower. Like Mallory talked about earlier, our identity is that we're followers of Jesus. And God will use this process to multiply everything, multiply relationships, faith, community, and even churches. Now, that's kind of a brief little explanation of what our vision statement is. But I don't want to leave you there with what seems a little theoretical. It can seem kind of theoretical. I want to put some skin on it. I want, you to, I want to make it tangible for you. I want you to leave here feeling the vision and what it looks like in the real world. Because the vision is you. So i got to tell you a story to do that. The story begins with a guy in his mid-20s from Southern California. And, and we're just going to call him, I'm not going to use any names, we're just going to call him Southern California guy. Which, for the purpose of this story, just means that he has a tendency to wear skinny jeans and grow a little piece of facial hair right here below his bottom lip. Some of you might know him. He grew up as a pastor's kid, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he was always going to go into ministry. But at some point in his life, he decided that he would give his life to one thing, 
helping people find and follow Jesus, deciding that it mattered more than anything else he could give his life to. He moved with his parents to a small town and started a church where he was the youth leader. The story then moves to a 17-year-old young man that lives in, an, in said small town. We're going to call him high school kid. I'm going to do this a lot, by the way. He's a good kid, but he's not really sure what he thinks about God, and in all honesty, isn't really thinking too much about it until one day he goes with a friend to a youth event at Southern California guy's house. High school kid is intrigued by Jesus, and he starts to lean into following him. He becomes more and more passionate about what Jesus has done for his life, and so he begins praying for his friends and family to find Jesus as well. The story then moves to high school kid's father, and we're going to call him small town guy. Small town guy begins to notice the positive change in his oldest son. He starts to ask questions and explore. Eventually, he comes to saving faith in Jesus as well. He begins seeing positive changes in his marriage and in his family life. His passion for Jesus grows, and he wants more people to experience the life change that Jesus has given him. Now, the story then moves to small town guy's boss. We're just going to call him boss. His boss is going through a divorce. His pain, heartache, and regrets are on full display all the time. He shows his boss compassion, even though his boss isn't the nicest guy in the world. He listens, he offers encouragement, but most importantly, he prays. After a while, this boss of his comes, to the, comes through the fog, and he realizes he's got to do something positive with his life, if nothing else than for the sake of his children. So he asks small-town guy if he knows of any good churches. They have a good conversation about faith, and he directs him to none other than Southern California guy, who isn't a small-town youth leader anymore. Now he's a lead pastor of a new church in a big town. He is still, however, wearing skinny jeans and growing a little piece of facial hair under his bottom lip. I'm only doing that because he's not here. You know that, right? Um, actually, I cleared it with him ahead of time, so he said it was fine because he wasn't going to be here. Um, Southern California guy and the people in his church show no judgment, only love and compassion, which is one reason why he decides he wants to know a little bit more about this guy, Jesus. He's, he's done life his way and made a mess of his life, so he decides to try to learn about God's way and try that instead. So he starts meeting with a group of guys, a group of guys to process life and faith with them. He meets with Southern California guy every once in a while to talk about the same thing. God went to work on this boss, changing him into a different person. Before long, this boss decides that life with Jesus is better than anything he's experienced before and decides to surrender his life to him. As he sees this positive change in himself and his children, his passion for others to experience the same grows as well. And here we are. In case you didn't know, that boss is me, and I'm no longer a boss. I told the story that way because I've told my story so many times, I just wanted to tell it a little different way. Um, because the names, in all honesty, don't matter at all. The people and who they are, they definitely matter. But this is the vision of Finding Life Church. This, my friends, is the vision of Finding Life Church in real life. I am passionate about this vision because this vision is the only reason that I am here. This vision is the reason that my life is different at all. Yes, God. Yes, God did it. But here's the thing. I could have found my way into one of those big churches that built a building and said, hey, come, come in here, right? Come to us, whose focus was just on the gathering. In all honesty, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to find a church that I could hide in. Well, I didn't get that because I had all these people that were constantly trying to, to invest in my life outside the four walls of a church service. 
Instead, I came to a church that placed a higher priority on being scattered rather than being gathered. I don't know if you notice this or not, but 90% of the story I just told had nothing to do with a church building. Zero. And it had very little to do with the church service at all. Did sermons impact me early on in my faith? Absolutely. They still do to this day. They were important. And they can be the kickoff point, I think, to discussion with people outside the four walls that can really lead to growth. Most of my growth happened outside the walls of the church building. Not much of it at all happened during the church service. I enjoyed and still do enjoy our gatherings. They're important. Don't get me wrong. Gatherings are life-giving. There is something awesome about us coming together and worshiping God together corporately, doing it together. There's something awesome about us as we come together and the, the way that we can show the heart of God to people that are on the outside, that are on the fringes, we can't do that by ourselves. It takes a community like this. We can show people that. It is, a, it is an awesome front door for people that are not connected to faith, to Jesus at all. And that's what it was for me. The first time I met Jake was at a gathering. So it's not that gatherings have no point. It's not that they're not good. It's not that we shouldn't do them. But the fact is, is that we exist primarily to be scattered. I'm about ready to wrap up, so I'll invite the band to come back up here um, on this note. I just want to repeat that again. Gatherings are great. These things are awesome. I love them. I want us to do them really, really well. But they can never become the primary reason we exist. And they will never become the primary reason that we exist at Finding Life Church. We, we exist primarily to be scattered because that is God's vision for his church. It is you, it is me, scattered throughout our community, spreading the love and grace of Jesus wherever we go. If you really stop and think about it and how this applies to us, it's awesome, it's exciting. I get fired up thinking about it. And I say that because God, he's already got us scattered. Scattering is not anything that you have to do. It's not anything that you have to walk out of and feel like you have another task to complete. You are already scattered. Just as in this room, there are people that live in Springfield. We're at Stewart's. Papillion, Ralston, West Omaha, Central Omaha, South Omaha. We are scattered all over this city. I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's an accident. We work in so many different places. We have so many different neighbors, different kids that go to different schools, so many different people that already cross our paths on any given day. God already has you and I positioned to live into his vision for his church. The question is, will we live into it or will we do what so many do and settle for just going to church? Father God, thank you so much for your vision. Thank you so much that you revealed your vision to us, that we don't have to guess what you want, what you're trying to accomplish. <sighs> Thanks most of all, God, that you let us be a part of it. Like, we don't deserve to be a part of it. There's probably lots better ways that, um, that you could have accomplished it um, than through us who constantly make mistakes and, and get distracted and lose sight of what's important. Um, but God, we're thankful that you've chosen us, that, that we have purpose in our lives, that we're not just here to go to our jobs, go to bed, wake up, go to our jobs, pay bills until we die. Like, thank you that we have a purpose in this life, God, that is bigger than us. Thank you, God, that you are not leaving us alone, that you're not letting us just 
rest in where we're at today, God, that, that your spirit dwells in us, that it is constantly working in us, transforming us, moving us closer to you, moving us closer to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, moving us closer to being Jesus in this world. God, help us do that. As we leave this place today, God, don't let us leave the same exact people as when we walked in. Don't let us just go through the motions of another week, God. Help us to see every single person that crosses our path as somebody that you love and that you want us to love for the sake of them finding Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.